Welcome to the Rebel Physician Podcast, where we are creating a path for physicians to break free from the toxic medical system to create an enjoyable and a sustainable career in medicine. Join us each week as we challenge the status quo, push boundaries, and seek to create a better healthcare system for all. This week on the podcast, we are going to dive into part two with my interview with Dr. Anup Kumar. He is an ER physician, co-founder and CEO of Health Revolution, author, and knows a lot about spirituality from his own near-death-like experience and also through his journey in and outside of medicine. We talk about so many amazing things in part one, and we dive even deeper into spirituality and medicine what is reality, the nature of reality, and so much more. If you have not yet listened to part one, I encourage you to go there first, hear the first half, and then come back here and listen to the second half. You can find out more about Dr. Anup Kumar at his website at healthrevolution.org. Enjoy. Before I forget to bring it back up, do you mind talking about the five bodies? Yes. And... And also maybe, which you probably already do, but how do we incorporate this personally and also in our medical practice? Yes. So the five bodies came from me seeing that we are defining ourselves incompletely. We're defining our patients incompletely and we're defining each other incompletely. And I think that is the core of suffering and this philosophy of materialism that says we are physical things. So what I discovered as I looked into this, and this was also influenced by the philosophy and Vedanta that I studied as a kid, right? So it's it's kind of a modification of those ideas too. What I found out is that we are talking about essentially one-fifth of what we are. So everything we talk about in terms of anatomy, right? So the organism, the organ systems, and the tissues, and the cells, and then even down to histology, and then molecular biology, even particle physics, right? Getting out, getting down to subatomic particles and then quarks, all that is physical anatomy at different scales. Think about the volumes of books written on that. I mean, it's it's a library on its own, just anatomy. But even that, I say, is just a fraction of what we are. Because if you go just beyond that, what about thoughts? <laughs> you know, we don't even think about thoughts as anatomy, but thoughts are anatomy. Thoughts are part of what we are. If you take a person's thoughts completely away, they are radically different. Take somebody who's asleep, right? They may love you a lot when they're awake, but when they're asleep, they're dead to you in a sense, right? Or you're dead to them, right? You take away a person's thoughts, they radically change. What about feelings? You know, right now, very few people are paying attention to their left third toe, Mm -hmm. okay? Right now, what most people are probably experiencing is some interest, curiosity. Hmm. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, maybe. It's it's curiosity. It's a feeling and a thought that they're experiencing. That's what you're constituted of right now. But your left third toe, you know, your hepatic vein, important. No doubt they're important, but you're not experiencing them at all. It is nowhere in your experience right now. So just think about that. A patient who comes to us, we're defining them through this model of anatomy that they're not even relating to right now. The, the chief complaint that they're coming in with to them is about their thought and their feeling, which is what they are constituted of in that moment. Thoughts, feelings, uh, emotions, dreams, hopes, fears, love. Love and fear, I always say, are probably the two biggest experiences in a person's life. Love and fear and pain, which is a modification of fear, right? They exist nowhere in our anatomy. Not only do they exist nowhere in our anatomy, we we have this idea that we are scientifically thinking that it is in the brain, right? Mm. And we don't realize that that is not science, that's philosophy. There's there's nothing scientific that tells us fear is in the brain. We know there's an association with the experience of fear and the experience of a brain, that we can say. But to say the brain creates fear or brain creates this is just, it, it doesn't look a lot, at a lot of evidence, including people experiencing things when their body has stopped, right? Or experiencing other lifetimes. So that is another entire layer of anatomy, this this non-scientific assumption that we can only be physical things. All anatomy should be physical. In fact, 
I don't know if you, did you use Netter's Atlas of Anatomy? Yeah. Medical school. So mm -hmm. if you look in the foreword or in the preface, he writes that, you know, every so often we have to update our model of anatomy according to the how we our knowledge is developed, right? I'm paraphrasing, something like that. You'll see that if you open up to Netter's. I do it all the time. In fact, I have it back there. I, I look at it all the time. And it's so fascinating to see to see that, you know, we think anatomy is fixed and it was done in the 1800s. No, you know, there was Galen and then there was Henry Gray and then there was somebody else. And, and we, we developed our understanding back to Aristotle before that. We developed our understanding of anatomy. And as we understood it more, we had better diagrams. Well, it's time to modify and develop our anatomy again and stop basing it on unexamined philosophy. So that second layer is the mental body. We have the physical body, which we all know. That's Netter's Atlas of Human Anatomy. The mental body, thoughts, feelings, emotions, memories, hopes, dreams, fears, love, that entire vast range of richness that is so meaningful to us is the mental body. Deeper than this is the energetic body. And this is what in yoga is described as the chakras, the nadis, right? The, the streams of energy. Right in acupuncture, they're associated with the meridians, right? And thousands of these exquisitely detailed in yoga, and and we have no clue mm. in in medical school and in, in in allopathy about this, right? To the point that we just we just ignore it. We say, well, those people, those billions of people are just crazy. For thousands of years, they were just crazy. They don't know. They just they didn't get it, right? I mean, that's the only stance we have to take because, again, of our science, we haven't realized that we have to develop the subjective lens and not just look objectively. When you change the lens of the microscope, you see the paramecium. If, you're, if your magnification is off, you see nothing. It looks like there's nothing there. Well, there's nothing there. Got to adjust your lens. You got to fine tune the lens, right? So that's the energetic body. And that's what we often feel, feel as like something's off, something's not right. This feels really good. You know, that's that energetic body that that we kind of brush out. We say that just intuition, you know, because we're so focused on the physical. Now this energetic body can delocalize. Energetic body is still somewhat localized, right? But we know that energy dissipates with distance. What does not dissipate with distance is information. And so deeper than the energetic body is the informational body. At the level of the informational body, we're all 99.9% .9 the same. Because the informational body is the expanse of space and time. It's the grid of space and time. Not just where we are, not just Earth, but all planets, all cosmos. Remember, we're going back, we're going beyond a physicalist model here. So what we're saying is all of what we experience as physicality is simply a projection in a plane of information, in a deep mind. That is the informational body. And this is something we can all experience. And you see this in every wisdom tradition that they say there is this expanse. You can travel through all kinds of expanses. You can feel yourself as infinite, or you can bring yourself in and feel yourself as this particular body. This is how ESP happens. This is how precognition happens. This is how you think of somebody and then you know somebody else calls you at that same time. Because at that depth of our anatomy, at the informational body, we are absolutely connected. This is why quantum entanglement happens. This is why one particle on one side of the planet and another particle on the other side of the planet will exactly mimic, mirror each other. The spin is up in one place, it'll be down in the other place. How do they know? How can they do that faster than the speed of light? Nothing can go faster than the speed of light. Yeah, because they don't have to go anywhere because they're the same at the level of the informational body. So they're not traveling. It's instantaneous. Is As the informational body, sorry, one quick question. Like when people talk about opening the Akashic records or something, is that is that that's the body that they are tapping into. Is that That's, right? Yes. Th that is the, the Akashic records are an aspect in the informational body. Every aspect of the cosmos is a modification of the informational body. So astral travel is basically the, the energetic aspect of the informational body. Remember, these are, these are nested versions of anatomy. So the physical is just the, the pinpoint that sticks out. It's the tip of mm -hmm. the iceberg that crystallized, right? But the energetic body is the more distilled localizing aspect of the non-local informational body. And so it's that body that that travels through your informational body, Akashic records or dimensions and all these kinds of things. Dreams happen here. Daydreams happen here. The waking state of consciousness, which is what we're experiencing now, happens here. It is all within this informational body, 
localizing as the energetic, manifesting through the mind, and crystallizing as the physical. So those are the four and the and the first body, right? Five is physical, fourth is mental, third is energetic, second is informational, and the first body is consciousness. And this is what we are at our core. And this is that light of lights, right? The, the light that is always on. This is the light that illumines our experience. So if you're looking out and you're seeing the screen and everything now, it looks as though you know, your lights are on, right? And and there's this light coming in and that's why we, and your screen has a light behind it, the LCD display, you know, that's where the light comes from. But in fact, that is a reflection of a deep light. There is a deep light that is behind the screen of perception, so to speak, behind this three-dimensional screen of perception. Deep to this, there's a light, just as if there's a screen and there's a light behind it projecting onto it. And this light is always on. This light never turns off. So even when we're sleeping, this light is on. And that's why when we wake up, we're like, ah, if we had a good sleep, if the dreams weren't happening all over the place, in which case the light is illuminating those dreams. But if those dreams subside, then it's just the light. And it's this soothing brilliance. And when a person wakes up, they say, ah, I slept well. This light stays on even between lifetimes. That is why we never die. And that is why we were never born, frankly. We, we're born into forms, but as existence, we're never born and we never die. We just are. These are our five bodies, physical, mental, energetic, informational, and consciousness. And as we become aware of this, the way we interact with people changes. It's simply a matter of attention, right? It's like, think about before we learned anatomy, somebody would have uh, write up her quadrant pain, and we'll be like, oh, okay, that would hurt. We have now it's like, okay, is it the gallbladder? Is it gallstones? Or is it cholecystitis? You know, is it, is it just inflammation? Is it an infection? Is it the bile ducts? Is it the liver? You know, we have why somebody said, hey, pay attention. There are a lot of layers here beneath that skin. Oh, okay, now I get it. It's the exact same thing. Any any person can experience this, right, with introspective practice. And as we do that and recognize that. When we see other people, we won't just see their skin. You know, we won't just see their emotions. We will feel more and recognize more. That includes with patients, with doctors, and as a result of that, we'll also take care of ourselves better because we'll rec we'll recognize all these layers of ourselves. And when we think about zooming out, as far as our the different bodies, the only way really that they can manifest. In it, we're only paying attention to the physical is through physical sensation or uh, diagnosis, right? I mean, if we're like, we can be, we can have a feeling of something has to change. I'm not happy. There's dread, there's emotion, right? It's almost like if we have an energetic feeling that something has to change, it will emotional and it kind of goes in like that. Is that why I want to think about it? And then all of a sudden, you have chronic daily headaches every day because you weren't paying attention to the communication that was trying to come in from your expanded, more expanded consciousness. Right. Yes. So whatever is hanging out there, the informational level, whether it's ancestry, whether it's genetics, what we call genetics is, is patterns in this informational body, right? That that show up as genes. So whatever is there and starts to coalesce and starts to distill eventually then crystallizes as the physical structure, including our DNA and the way we look and all of those things. Now, that doesn't mean that every time that there's a disease is because somebody did something. That's often a misinterpretation of this, right? Right. Our, our bodies are finite. Our bodies are here for some time, for some purpose to have certain experiences and the bodies have to stop at some point. They start it and they'll stop, right? So it's, it's not that every disease has to be cured. But it's just that when we see ourselves more completely, we'll have a lot more insight into what is happening with us and why. And we won't just be stuck in this physicalist lens by looking at the, you know, the surface of the ocean, trying to figure out everything that's happening within the ocean. And once we have that vision, we have many more levers to work with. That's what I call multidirectional healing. Right now we have unidirectional healing. What's that? No matter what's happening, you start and pretty much finish with the physical body. That's it. Mm -hmm. Multidirectional healing is which of these layers makes sense to you or calls to you, 
right? Whether it's a headache or whether it's foot pain or whether it's like dread or whatever the experience you're having, think about it at all of these layers, right? Experience it at all these layers. Which one calls to you? Whichever one calls to you, you can start acting there. You can engage there, right? Just like you started engaging at the level of mind through conversation with the headache, right? Instead of just at the head and trying to <laughs> shut down your, your pain signals with NSAIDs, right? So, but what happened? Because you engaged at the mind, it spread out towards the physical body from the mental body. It wasn't unidirectional. It wasn't just physical. If you go to the mental, it can spread to the physical. If you go to the energetic, it can spread to the informational, to the mental, to the physical, right? So think about them as concentric circles, and you can drop that pebble in the lake any, in any one of those layers, and it spreads out into all the other layers. If you have a fracture and it needs reduction, you reduce the fracture. Guess what? The mental body also gets relieved, right? Because we are just one flow across all of these bodies. Wherever you change one, the other layers are affected. I want to bring this back to something you said earlier when you said that everything is mental or the world is mental. And I actually just recently read The Kabbalion. I don't know if you're familiar with that no. or not, but it, that's one of the universal laws basically is everything is mental, the, we're, we're mental. And when I first read that, I was I didn't, I was thinking mental how, as we think about it. Yeah. But I think maybe through the lens of the mental body in this conversation, you can talk about a little bit more about what that really means as this world, like this is all a mental construct or right. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that topic. So this is where we see the limits of our science and the limits of our classical science specifically. Why has quantum physics been so, why is quantum physics a rock star, right? Quantum physics is pretty sexy. Like everybody's talking about it and everybody's like quantum this, quantum that, right? Why? With good reason, right? Why? Because quantum physics tells us something that is so radical that we think is so not intuitive based on our education and our experience. And it's basically this, you know, if you ask what something is made of, let's just use a human body. What is a human body made of? You can go through all the layers of physical anatomy till you get down to protons, neutrons, electrons, and ultimately quarks and elementary particles, right? So elementary particles are the tiniest building blocks of this physical world as we are all educated. Remember when we were playing with molecular model kits, you put the two mm -hmm. atoms together, you put the stick, and we're all like, oh, that's what all this is made of, right? It, it's like brainwashing, to be honest. You know, mm -hmm. you know what we never ask? What are those tiny quirks made of? Why is it that we stop asking? But every other level, we're like, okay, but what's that made of? What's that made of? What's that made of? What's that made of? And then after that, it's like, oh, no, Johnny, don't ask any more questions. We're settled here, you know? <laughs> but really, because what happens, what they found is that the tiniest particles, the elementary particles as they're called, are actually vibrations. They're not distinct things, they're vibrations in an infinite field of energy, right? And there's there's all kinds of, there's the electron field, there's a Higgs field, there are all kinds of, there are multiple interfacing fields. But what we think of as a particle, the smallest bits that make up your body and my body are actually vibrations in these infinite fields of energy. Nobody taught us that. That's not an anatomy class. Right? That's not a netter, these, these fluctuating fields that are interfacing and forming this human structure. That's not there. Why is it not there? Because we don't understand what that means. We know that's true. It's, it's unarguable. It's well-established. It's one of the most successful branches of science is quantum physics. But we don't know what the heck that means in our daily life because everything looks like distinct small things put together. Right? So... That's what we have to realize is that when we look at the science, what the science is telling us is that the smallest things, these bits are made up of infinite fields of energy. That's step one. Okay. I'm, I'm going to put a few blocks together now. All right. Okay. Now, imagine we're in a dream and we're rowing our boat gently down the stream, right? And we're rowing our boat and we're having a conversation. And, and one person says to the other, you know, this, this crazy thing I heard today that says, the smallest things are not really things, they're just like vibrations in this whole field, right? This is all happening in a dream, right? And then you say, you say, what, what does that even mean? That's so strange. So you're, we're looking at the ores that we're using. So this, this tiny little bit of wood that just chipped off of this ore, it, it's so tiny, but the tiny particles that make this up are infinite, are made of something infinite. How can that be, right? 
the people in the dream don't understand it. But now we wake up and we look at the dream. And now we ask the question, what was the, the protons, neutrons, and electrons? What were the tiny elementary particles of that ore in the dream? What was it made of? We say, well, it was actually just that dreaming mind. The dreaming mind was the only ingredient in that dream. There was nothing else. All light, dark, up, down, enemy, friend, space, time, love, fear, hate, good, bad, God, atheism, everything was nothing but one ingredient, mind. So that smallest particle in the dream was nothing but a local pattern in an infinite field. That is what physics is telling us. Now, I'm giving my interpretation to it. I'm not saying everybody's going to agree with me, but I'm very clear on this based on what I've experienced and what I've studied. So what does that mean? Even in this world, Kristen, this is what I'm saying. Even in this world, if you're going to look at something like my fingernail and keep going smaller, smaller, smaller down to the little particles, yes, we can look at them as individual things. That's a lens of human perception from that first mind level. But as soon as that mind expands and we start to see our deeper nature, we see that even those tiny particles are actually local vibrations that are made of this infinite mind or this non-local consciousness. And that's what it means when we say that this world is mental. It's not that it's in my head or in your head, or it's not that it's just my thoughts. Now, our thoughts interface with that because the world is fundamentally mental. That is why thoughts are so powerful. That is why feelings are so powerful. That is why energy is so powerful. We can shift things. There are things like telekinesis and ESP and other dimensions and all that. There are, because it's just like a dream. It's the same mechanics. But the fundamental understanding is that it's not within the individual body, but when we expand ourselves, we see another level of mind. And at that level, this entire universe is entirely mental. So... We have maybe enticed some people to explore this for themselves. And you had mentioned early on that this, you know, experiencing more, you know, expansion is available to everybody. Yes. How do we begin to in increase our level of awareness in order, if we wanted to, in order to really have a personal understanding of what we're talking about here? There are many ways. One way that I came to through trial and error to stabilize myself is what I call the four engines of nutrition, movement, connection, and rest. See, we have to see that if we take this hypothesis that the world is fundamentally mental, and by the way, that doesn't mean it's not important. It doesn't mean it's made up. It doesn't mean it's not real. It's just a dream, so we don't have to pay attention. None of that's true. We're just literally talking about the constitution of this world, what it's made out of, right? So if that is true, then in a sense, it's like everything affects everything. There are no lines like, oh, this is mine and that's body. or That's far away, so it doesn't matter. This is nearby. Like Those are all our constructs, right? So things like the clothes we wear, the people we talk to, the food that we eat, you know, where we go, these things that seem so simple are actually some of the most powerful things in our lives they, because they're like currents that are that are kind of like molding this experience that we're having. And so what I found is certain kinds of food, so specifically cutting out processed food, it's, processed food is almost like a, like a lower, it's not like nature's intelligence, you know, it's kind of like a modified type of intelligence. And so when we consume that, we kind of become like that too, because everything influences everything. So cutting out processed food, eating plenty of fresh fruits and vegetables, that's key for food. Nutrition of the mind is another huge one, mm -hmm. which is this. It's having stimulating conversations. It's just opening up to be like, I always knew this, you know, or mm -hmm. I always knew there was something about this. And just going with that, following that truth, you know, that's nutrition. Movement is moving our bodies, exercise, but even range of motion. Every single joint that you have, move it through its full range of motion because that expands the mind. The body is the mind in a patterned form. So range of motion, breathing fully, right? Moving your creativity. What do you want to say? What do you love to do? Moving your emotions. How many people have healed on our podcast from moving their emotions? Crohn's disease, cancers, all kinds of stuff opened up their emotions, they felt something different, and next thing you know, their diagnosis is gone. So movement is huge. Connection, right? Connecting with 
each other, like we're doing now, two fellow doctors finding something in common and having that conversation, right? Connecting with ourselves, of course, you know, connecting with the questions that that are not cool to ask, or maybe we're not supposed to ask, who am I? Who am I really? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What am I? What is this world? You know, the, these are huge questions that we don't have to get answers to, but we got to ask them. They live with us. They live in our subconscious, whether we vocalize them or not, you know? And then connecting with the planet. One of the the shortcuts, if there ever was one. It's just like you plug in your phone, you have to plug in and contact the planet. So bare feet in the soil, bare feet in the ocean, sun on the skin, fresh air in the lungs, filling out those alveoli. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love that I can use words like alveoli yeah. here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and sky, looking at the sky, eyes on the sky, I say a lot, like because you can experience unity by looking at the sky. If you look here, there's multiplicity everywhere. If you look at the sky, you remember everything about you remembers unity. So this is directly contacting the planet. That's connection. And then rest, which is sleep, but also learning how to rest the mind while awake, learning how to engage in life while the mind stays restful. Nutrition, movement, connection, and rest. Activating these four engines will start to expand you. It is impossible to do all of these and not start to expand. And we have a course for that. We have another page for clinicians that talks about anatomy and this kind of deeper understanding of who we are to help address these questions of burnout and look at what we call quote unquote mental illness in a whole different way. Yeah. And maybe now would be a good time for you to talk about what you're doing with health revolution and what you're offering and, and a little bit more about the mental illness thing, which I think is affecting more and more physicians, um, probably in isolation than we really care to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I guess the biggest thing for me with Health Revolution was, well, first I started, I used to talk a lot about just consciousness and a lot of metaphysics and spirituality and really developed that a few years ago. And then I would go to the ER and I would see my patient with CHF or the person who came in depressed and was suicidal. And I just felt like I was leaving them behind, you know, and I felt like, I felt like it I was taking the easy way out and none of them would understand what I'm saying or, you know, how do I engage these people? How do I help these people? You know, it was painful for me. It's painful for me to see somebody and know that I'm not doing what I could do, you know, to help them. I think it's painful for every doctor. And I think that that's a big part of Mm -hmm. burnout too. It's a different story. And so what I said is, okay, I have to connect this deeper understanding of consciousness and experience of what we are with the ER and my patients and health was the way to do that. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to take the word health back. It's not going to be a six pack and, you know, wearing yoga pants and and driving an electric car, which it can be, that's fine. We have an electric car too, but that's not health. Health comes from the word heal, which comes from the word whole. And what does wholeness mean, right? It's the five bodies. It's the whole person. It's the entirety of what we are. That is health. It's not a particular state of the physical structure or a particular state of the mental structure. That's not health. That's fractional health. But health is wholeness, is experiencing all of what we are and what this cosmos is and seeing our place in this. And that in itself is healing. So then I said, I have to start talking about health. And then it got to, I got to start talking about healing. And I started interviewing people who are healing from all kinds of conditions where books say you're not supposed to heal from. And I started a podcast with that. And now we're going to start publishing those in, in journals. And we're going to create a platform where we have all of these stories of healing. Because now it's like, all you hear is negative stuff. A prognosis is like a sentence. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, this is the prognosis. Yeah. So say, well, you don't take into account all of these things. So we're creating a platform where people can go and see that organized by organ system or diagnosis, all these people who are healing, how they did it, they can take the course on the four engines, how to activate their four engines. These are the things that we're doing now at Health Revolution. We have a special page just for clinicians. If you go to healthrevolution.org slash clinicians, um, and this is one of the most meaningful pages to me, you know, because um, Frank, I just, I love my fellow clinicians. I know how much we are suffering. And 
what we have on there is basically just a conversation about this perspective that I've been talking about, about why burnout is happening. It's because we've allowed ourselves to be defined mechanically and seen as robots, literally made up of small parts, even though that's not the science. Our science hasn't been updated for a hundred years to account for our deeper knowledge of science, leave alone the philosophy, which we don't even talk about. So I talk about that. I have articles there about consciousness. I have studies there. And then we have courses that you can take to understand yourself more deeply. We have a webinar, Clinicians Bridging Science and Spirituality, that you can sign up for. All kinds of resources, conversations about mental illness. You know, there are totally different ways of looking at mental illness, Kristen. You must know this as states of consciousness. So depression is not just a diagnosis that a few people in a room came up with something called MDD and now mm -hmm. it's become uh, like a thing, you know, or they came up with ADHD and now it's like, uh, as if it's scientific, it's not. It's basically an idea, a way of thinking about things. It can be helpful to some, it can be harmful to some. It can keep people locked into an idea that this is a scientific understanding when it's not. It's, it's an opinion, it's a way of seeing things. But what's another way of seeing things? These set of experiences that we call depression, whether it's hopelessness or whether it's a, a loss of uh, pleasure, or all the things, you know, not wanting to eat, what's another way of framing these experiences? Because they are there in wisdom traditions, right? They're entirely different ways of seeing them. Maybe it's not a mental illness. Maybe it's a, a stage of understanding. Maybe it's a stage of experience that leads to something else, right? So there are these entirely different ways of seeing what we call mental illness. And I talk about there too. So if you're a clinician, please check out healthrevolution.org slash clinicians. And you can contact me at the bottom of the page. You know, Let me know, contact me, and I'm happy to talk to people. Perfect. I want to go back now to, and to, to frame a question about your um, comfort now about talking about all of this stuff um, and how it started. Back when you're a medical student, you had this experience, and then... Yeah. Um, you were in the ER as an intern. I think you were telling me before we recorded, but um, when you decided and was there any resistance to voicing your internal experiences and as as a physician and, and kind of how you got to the place where you're at today? So there was, when I wrote my first book, Michael Angelo's Medicine, um, I remember thinking at the end, I was like, should I really talk about consciousness as existence or the nature of reality as existence, consciousness, and bliss? Like, should I really say that? You know, and I could feel my mind and my my hand hesitating, you know, as I was as I was writing this. And ultimately I decided to do it. And it's almost like this, you know, this that that, you know, in in enzyme reactions, you have that threshold, right? That you have to cross, that activation potential. And once you cross that, you never go below that, you know? And, and it was just like that. I wrote that and I look back on that a year later and I said, I'm so happy I wrote that because I'll, I'll never go below that again. And it's just been successive stages of that. So I was afraid of writing those things because first of all, people wouldn't, I didn't feel like people would understand what I was saying. And a lot of people would think, that it doesn't have credence, that it's not valid because they didn't understand it, because that maybe that experience wasn't there. So I started to become very particular about the words that I used and try to put it in a way that helped people, which actually in the end was a good thing, right? Because that made me develop an entire language for this. And I came up with all kinds of frameworks, the three minds, the five bodies, and all kinds of stuff just to kind of bridge these worlds, you know? And with each conversation. So this is the first conversation I think that's been physician to physician for me where we talked about this kind of depth. It's just a new level of breaking free and a new level of breaking free and you keep going. And I always tell people, tell people, you know, if I have to be the one who looks strange or who seems strange by talking about it, I am all for it because this is so freaking great to like be yourself and to talk about what you are and what your experience is and to be able to integrate science and philosophy with that, to become the metaphysicians that we are, it is so freaking great. It's amazing. And I can't tell you how many people message me privately or come up to me privately at work and like, I talked to psychiatrists who said, well, you know, I had this experience, but I don't want to talk about it because I will be crazy. You know, mm -hmm. you must get this all the time. Like physicians are just, just parched 
to share themselves and to be fully human, be their five bodies and not just be this physical structure, you know? So yes, we're all scared. I've been there. I'm still there to some extent. I'm still going beyond that step by step. Yeah, I think I, this really hit home for me. I think it was last year or maybe even six months ago. I was at a conference, actually, a medical conference. Um, it was actually a wellness medical conference. And I talked to like three other physicians within an hour. And it just naturally led to all the woo that I love. Like we were talking about near-death experiences, which I am obsessed with. I just, I want all of it. I'm like, I just, I don't know. I just love, I just, I'm obsessed. <laughs> and about um, the Akashic records and intuition and all of the spiritual gifting. And it was like three in a row, other physicians. And it's like, oh, so weird to talk about it out loud. Like I've never told anyone that I went and saw, you know, my spiritual healer and I had, you know, all of these things. So then I was like, okay, this is not like, there's no coincidences, right? Like this has to be a common experience among physicians that it's just a time now that it's all coming to a head. That's how it fits what it feels like to be. Like it's all kind of erupting into like this is when we need to start reincorporating so eloquently as you said about taking back what health means yes and it's it's so much more than clicking in your emr yeah yeah it's so it's so much bigger than that it's so much bigger than that and and when we take back who we are when we take back what health is and and we kind of honor that standard that society has set for us and, and that responsibility that we also took, you know, in taking our oath as physicians. When we honor that, we will start to heal. We will become metaphysicians and and people will also honor the work that we're doing, you know? There's, there's so many, the, the there's so much to say about healthcare and corporate healthcare and all those kinds of things. But when we do not yield the standard of knowledge, which has happened now, and we say no, this is what we are. This is the truth about health and healing. And it 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 dishonors no science at all. It just elevates the science and increases the level of our science and contextualizes it. Then we will hear, we will heal, our patients will heal, and healthcare will heal. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to know for you personally, like you had this experience, and I mean, are are you do you still currently have I don't know if you call them like out of body experiences or astral travel. Like, what does that look like for you day to day now? Like, how often are you kind of um, in other places or just all of? I'm just so, so curious what that looks like for you just day to day now. So I would say that there there are two aspects of this. So you know, one aspect is let's say going to other localities or having other local experiences meaning that it might be like another dimension or it might be astral travel or something like that. That's one kind of experience. The other is simply seeing through this world, which is this second mind, right? Which is the deeper nature of what this is. The deeper nature of what this is, is not really about traveling to other places and, and having exotic experiences. It's simply seeing what it is and doing what you have to do, right? So I would say like a lot of the, the exotic kind of experiences, I would say, they, I was really interested in them and that peaked probably a few years ago, right? When I was doing a lot of those kinds of things. And ultimately I found that, well, I'm, I'm using a lot of energy for these things, but that's not really why I'm here. You know, it's not to like, I needed that to like exhale and be like, yes, this is what it is. It's just like, it's so true. It's so deep. It's so real. I'm good. You know, it's like having a few ice creams and you're like, I'm good, you know? Mm let me get to work now, you know? And it's like, and, and that part is just knowing what this is and seeing what this is. So that perception of, you know, when I came back to the room, that hasn't changed. That's still happening right now. The question is, what do I do with that? Right? How, how do I work with that? And mm -hmm. that has become much more, much, much more focused process of how I use my energy. And, and it's primarily to do, you know, what, happened or what was told to me then, which is like, you know, this wouldn't be fair. Like there's more work to do. And that's really the focus now. And there's so much joy in just doing that. 
was it ever difficult or is it ever difficult to ground into the experience of a noob and not and do you ever long to be i don't want to say home but back into your fully expanded self yes and i I, i'm not fully grounded into a noob even now as we talk i'm not fully grounded into noob i um that's just me everybody's a little different i suppose but for me it's it's I don't think it's really possible. Uh, I think my my functioning is so different now uh, that that I don't know. I don't even know how to do that. It's it, it's it's like trying to squeeze something into a box and it won't fit. It's like mm-hmm. the suitcase when you're going abroad and you're like sitting on it and the, <laughs> you're trying mm-hmm. to lock it closed. You're trying to zip it closed and it's not doing it right. So it's like that. It's it's an effort in like in in just it doesn't work. So it's 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 more about where in the situation are you? You know, how expanded are you? How much are you with the body and not? And that's another whole topic where we talk about association and dissociation. I think we have, there's a lot of confusion around that topic. I think most of us are living dissociated lives, you know, and and a lot of what I think psychology and psychiatry talk about dissociation is actually a pathway to a more associative experience where we associate with a deeper aspect of what we are, not leaving behind the local personality and also not expanding into infinity, but this kind of intermediate associative experience rather than dissociating into one or the other. So what do you, can you explain that a little bit? What do you mean when you say most of us are living dissociated lives? So the the feeling or the experience that what I am is just this body just this body and maybe these thoughts, that is a dissociated experience because that's not true. Every single person is vastly more than that. In fact, the majority of what they are is not in bodily form and is not even in this lifetime. There's an aspect of us that is being projected into this grid, into this informational body that is representing and crystallizing as the physical thing as well as our mental body of thoughts. But the majority of what we are is not crystallized into this. It is in a more potential state, right? We can say consciousness, that deepest, the first body. And so once you see that, then if you take yourself to be just this physical thing, just the tip of the iceberg, imagine the iceberg that believe it's just the tip. Isn't that dissociation? Because the vast majority of what it is, it's like, well, nobody's talking about that. That's not me. I don't know. There might be some stuff in the subconscious. Who knows about mm-hmm. that? This is who I really am, right? That's dissociated. That's just that's ignorance of the of the full anatomy, right? Association is when you say, okay, this is the part at which the society functions. Hi, oh yes, we're friends, or you know, do go to work and all. But really, most of the activity is happening below the surface. The vast majority of the iceberg is below that, and you're aware of that, and so you can engage and and act through that. That's an associated experience. Now, if I say, well, I'm just under the ocean, you know, that top part, I am not that. I am only a spiritual being, and therefore I am under the water and I'm deep. That's also dissociated, right? Because mm-hmm. the part of me that I'm cleaving off. And that ex- understanding, I don't know if that exists in our society. It's definitely not popular, even in psychology and psychiatry. And I think we need to understand what an associative experience, how healing that is. Yeah, I I really love the visual and I love your description of it. And I think that there's so much in our day-to-day life that uh, makes it really easy to stay dissociated, right? All the distractions and the noise and just our own nervous system activity, right? We're always so, um, we're always in fight or flight, really, as physicians, I think we're either always terrified of doing something wrong or terrified of what what we did yesterday and what could go wrong tomorrow and yeah also being fired and also being you know a cog in a wheel and then there's social media and then there's scrolling and that you know what i mean like there's so many distractions yeah that even just sitting and i still experience this even just sitting and like taking some deep breaths there's so much noise in my brain about all the things I could be doing and I'm not being productive and I don't want to be lazy and I got to get things done and there's 15 things to do. And what if my kids don't eat you know, a proper breakfast? And there's so much just on top of the human experience that I don't think we don't talk about enough as physicians 
the importance of really like using your word associating with the deeper truth about who you are in, in the day to day. Like when you have to tell a patient that their baby has died yeah. or when you have to run a code, like you can't, you people, we function dissociated yes. in those experiences and it's, it's killing us. I mean, it really is killing us. I think. Yes, that it, it really is. And I've been through all phases of that dissociated as the individual dissociated as just the so-called spiritual being. And, you know, I've learned that association is so fruitful, so healing, so practical. It's the most practical of the three states. Dissociation one, dissociation two, and association. Association is by far the most practical because you can use it. It's applicable in every situation. And you have kind of like infinite resources, you know, because you have this well within you that you can draw upon in every experience. You know, when, when the a patient is really upset or in a lot of pain or the family is wailing or the family is screaming to do something and you know what you have to do is wait 15 seconds to see if the medicine worked or you know whatever it is you have a well to draw upon and mm -hmm. so yes association is definitely the way to go and something i, I want to say just especially talking about as physicians and you know having this belief that that this is just a moment, right? We really go on. And when someone, their body dies, they go on and they're, it doesn't make it any less sad. It doesn't make grief not a right. thing. And right. it doesn't mean that as physicians, we don't attend to an emergency. And that has not been my experience at all. In fact, right. it's, you know, like everyone, like there's, there's a spiritual thing. We say it's both and it's both I want to save my patient's life. I want to do get this baby out in 30 seconds. And I understand that there's only so much that I can do. And I'm going to do everything in my power. And I'm going to do that with love and presence in the moment and be there, like truly, truly be there, right. which just adds to the richness of the human experience. And it adds to the possibility, right? So when you're connecting with them, not just at the physical level, when you're connecting with a family at a deeper level, that it mm. adds to the possibility, like how are we framing the situation? How are we seeing what's happening here? You know, Even as we're running the code, we're doing mm -hmm. the code, we've intubated, CPRs in progress, we're doing everything. But then like, how are we seeing this experience? You know, And we talk about it in terms of you know, uh, end of life care, or your, or are they DNR, DNI? You know, who's the who has the power of attorney? And those are our our codes, right? Those are our symbols. Those are our rituals in healthcare. But really, what's that saying is like, how do we honor this person, right? Mm -hmm. What what does this person want? What is this family about? Where do they come from? Where does this family come from? Where are they going? What are the conversations that have right? So we have these symbols and codes, but really, what we're trying to do is see their deeper bodies. Mm -hmm. Right and and honor those bodies also honor their associative experience as human beings, not their dissociated experience as bodies, because that's why else do we ask about power of attorney, right? Why else do we think about what other meds can we give? Why else do we think about okay, it's been sixty minutes of CPR, is it time to stop? Right, we, because mm -hmm. we are talking about the other bodies and the associative experience, we just don't have the training for it yet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what do you think is like what are we doing here? What is what are you what are your opinion about that? Like what is the point of this incarnation? Several ways to answer that. One is it really depends on the individual and, and where they are in their journey. Like the answer to that question, I don't think there's one answer for all. What mm -hmm. I generally say is that kind of catches everything is like it's to be yourself. You're I'm not talking about the big picture and, and all of that. That's Those are different kind of responses I would give. But in a practical sense, it's it's to be yourself, right? There's nobody who can say what Kristen says. There's nobody who can say what Anoop says and so on. There's nobody who feels like you. There's nobody who does the things you do and, and so on. And that's why we do the things we do. That's why we have the thoughts we have because that's what this cosmos is expressing through us, right? So we need to express that regardless of indoctrination in education or, or training or systems or whatever it is, we have to express ourselves. That is fundamental to health and healing. 
right? So yeah. to be yourself, and it also has a deeper meaning. Yes, to be yourself, your uniqueness, your individuality, your expression, but also to be your full self, to associate with yourself, to go through the depths of the layers, whoop, 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 sink into mm-hmm. the depths and the vastness of who you are and be that self also, and then associate across all these layers. And for the physician listening who is you know, in a place of either burnout or overwhelm or stress, like what do you have a message or, or maybe a step or something that you want to say before we close out today? I would say something that I don't think physicians say to each other enough, and that's simply that I love you. I love you. I understand. I've been in the same place and it's okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and your knowledge and your sharing and your experiences and everything. Healthrevolution.org. And tell me the page again specifically for clinicians. And I'll also, I'll also leave it in the notes, but say it out loud. It's healthrevolution.org slash clinicians. Perfect. And if people want to reach out to you, they could do that through their they website. Can go right there. Or- yeah. They can go there, healthrevolution.org slash clinicians and go down and there's a contact form or even the main page, healthrevolution.org. You can contact me through the contact form. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey there. Just wanted to take some quick time here to let you know that if you have been thinking about doing a podcast and it feels really overwhelming and you like the idea of podcasting, but the other stuff like the editing and production feels too overwhelming, I wanted to let you know about the people who now edit and produce my podcast, which is Pretty Easy Podcasts. And for the first year and a half of my podcast, I was doing everything myself. And I had tried to contract out editing and it was really got some really, really bad (laughs) results. So I was hesitant to try again, but I'm so glad that I did because working with Pretty Easy Podcasts has been so amazing. They can get your shows recorded, posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. You could record from home, your office or the park or really anywhere. And then they totally cater to your schedule and It's just so easy to work with them. I cannot say enough good things. So if it's been on your mind to do a podcast, then definitely check out Pretty Easy Podcast at prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. It's super affordable and it's so fun working with them. So definitely check it out. (music) 